0: Hello, it is 6.30 a.m. in New York, 12.30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 5.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shenander Bean from sundaybean.com. I am a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. And just a heads up, if you are listening to this the week of June 29th, 2020, you are just in time for the Fresh Challenge. The Fresh Challenge is designed specifically to have you create fresh energy and action in your life for what means the most to you. So we get started by looking at ways to disrupt for fresh energy interrupt our self-talk for fresh thoughts, fight for a cause by using our voice for fresh action, how to love on your people for fresh connection, and on Focus Friday, we're going to focus on what's most important for a fresh impact. So all of that is about getting you out of stuck and doing things in a new way so that you can make an impact. So join us there. It's not too late. Go ahead to the show notes and check out the Fresh Challenge. Ijoma Oluo said, the beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. And that's The only way forward. Her message, along with so many other anti-racist educators right now, are inviting us all to start with ourselves. Because what we're seeing in the U.S. right now is not isolated. It is ubiquitous. It's a sign of global injustices everywhere. So this episode, of Expat Happy Hour is going to invite us to look at one sphere of influence that we have if we are in the global mobility community. And many people, not all, but many people in the global mobility community have at one point in their lives had their children in the international school system or are friends with people who do. I know how (laughs) overwhelming it can feel when you feel like you're the one that has to single-handedly dismantle racism and you don't know where to begin and you feel overwhelmed. But when we look at the global mobility community, we can start with international schools. And who better to talk about that but someone who is in the heart of an international school every day. For this episode, I've invited Jasmine Conkren to come on as someone who is in the system. She is a Mississippi native, a wife, a mother currently teaching in China. She's working to implement anti-racism in her classroom and the school. And if that isn't enough, raised two women to carry the torch of truth and justice. In her spare time, she veganizes her favorite Southern meals. I love that, Jasmine. Welcome to Exit Happy hour.
1: <laughs> Thank you, thanks so much for having me Sunday.
0: So I'm really excited um, to dive in here today. So we're looking at, um, you know, as a mother of children who are in international school and so many people in my community um, have their kids or have had their kids in international schools. I'm really, really excited to have your inside view as an educator, um, what Mm -hmm. we can do in our sphere of influence. So just a backstory for those who um, are listening. Jasmine and I came in contact through actually two contacts. I knew someone who knew someone <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's how we ended up uh, coming together on Expert happy hour today. You briefly shared part of your journey with me and sort of a wake up call that hit you when you were in China. Before we dive mm-hmm. into that, I want to just hear a little bit about you. How did you get to teaching um, in China as an educator?
1: Um, So my husband and I, before we got married and at the beginning of our marriage, actually we just celebrated our 14th anniversary. So wow, 14 years ago, by fast. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Um, It seems like it just has not been that long, but um, we used to say that we wanted to live abroad. We wanted to live overseas and both of us were athletes at university. And so we didn't get a chance to do any study abroad programs or anything like that. And so we were like, you know what, we're going to do this one day. And a couple years go by, and then a couple more years go by, and it's not happening. And so (laughs) one day after work, I said to him, hey, are we really going to live abroad one day? Or are we just talking? Mm. And he said, well, you know, you're the one who doesn't want to be far away from your family. And I went, okay check your email tonight (laughs) i sent him (laughs) some links and uh, we started to just put some feelers out and talk to some friends who were living overseas and we had a friend who had moved to china the year prior who said hey i know these people out of school they're looking for teachers uh the next week we had an interview the week after that we had a contract and that was in may I believe, and then on August the 3rd, we were on a plane. We sold everything, got rid of all of our stuff, packed up our babies, packed up some of our stuff and (laughs) headed to China. So that's how we got here.
0: Wow, so that was a whirlwind. I love that. I love that you didn't give up on that dream. That's amazing. So when you got there, (laughs) you said that something happened that was really quite traumatic. What happened uh, when you started teaching?
1: well you know what okay so first we were at a school not far from korea um and i had a student one day i walked into class and i had a student who started to make fun of my skin started to talk about how dark i was started to make fun of my hair and i just took a few moments to set the record straight <laughs> with him <laughs> and uh, i was just telling him listen this is how skin works this is how skin tone works but I don't care how you feel about my skin. I love my culture very much. And the fact that you are here and you are bold enough to make fun of me tells me that you're the one who's lacking information and not me. But Mm -hmm. if this happens again, you are going to leave my classroom. Mm -hmm. And I never had any more problems out of him. And my experience at that school after that was not one that, you know, I, I, I didn't have any issues with racism after that. But then we moved from there. And we moved to South China and it was ironic because everybody was saying, oh, there are more black people in South China and uh, people are more accepting of black people in South China. And it was when I got here Mm. that I mean, wow. (laughs) So um, last year I was teaching the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. And I have a very strong conviction to not teach black history starting at slavery. Because what that does is it sets this foundation for people, you know, it's not anything anybody does on purpose. It's just what happens when Mm -hmm. the first thing you hear about somebody is, you know, if that's the first download that you get, then it sets the pace for how you will continue to believe about a person or a group of people. You know how like if, you know, you're talking to a friend and they say, oh, there's this guy, you know, he's going to be at dinner, but I don't like him very much. Now you've not met the guy, but Mm -hmm. you go into the thing expecting not to like him very much. (laughs) and Now he has to prove that he's likable. And it's like that just because that's how the human brain works, right? Right. So when you introduce an entire race of people and you say, okay, so these people were slaves, what has happened is subconsciously, you have created this foundation for a a whole people that is set in inferiority, that Mm -hmm. is set in weakness, and the like. And so I don't teach black history starting at slavery. It's not fair and it's Mm -hmm. inaccurate. Right. So what I did was I started at Mansa Musa Mm and the Malian empire. Mm -hmm. And we took one or two weeks of pre-teaching Frederick Douglass's um, autobiography to give my students an idea of what black people were doing before slavery.
0: Yeah. We went through
1: all that. And then we studied the slave narrative of Frederick Douglass and I had no idea what was gonna unfold, but um, it got real ugly real quick. Students started to tell me that I was biased because I was black, therefore I was unqualified to teach them about black history. And they would not believe what I had to say until a white teacher confirmed that what I had to say was true. Wow. Um, I had a student write me a letter (laughs) and tell me, and really asked me who do black people think that they are they were slaves how could they demand any freedom or any rights if they want it? they better fight for it oh, just things man. that were just unbelievable I and know. it was consistent you know <laughs> it wasn't just like a one-time thing and i it was not even most of the students it was mm-hmm. really just about eight or ten students who were <laughs> saying things like this doing things like this but they were very bold and then a bunch of other students who were silent.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: felt quite alone right. oftentimes in the classroom and very much traumatized. And it was just ironic to me how, you know, the very things that I had heard in Mississippi, I was now hearing in China from students. Right. I mean, I was just like, what is happening? What is this? Is there some kind of like racist handbook that goes around the globe, you know, uh, uh, where you know, obviously. hear the catchphrases?
0: right? <laughs> Studied from a very early age.
1: Yeah, but it just goes to show one how far reaching these ideals are. Mm-hmm. They don't stop at borders. They cross borders, right. you know, um, and I mean, that was just a few of the things the students said to me, uh, and not just, you know, against black people, but uh, white men save civilization. White men save the world. If it wasn't for white men, we wouldn't be where we are today, you know, things like this, and I I was flabbergasted. Right. I just really was. So,
0: um, go, ahead. go oh, ahead. I mean, it just makes me think about how um, how there might even be, and tell me where I'm wrong, there might even be like a, a hope that when you move abroad, you could have a respite mm-hmm. from some of the yeah. racism that you experience. I've, I learned this from Natando Saleh in one of our last episodes. She said she left South Africa, and there was hope that in Europe, she wouldn't, experience the same level of racism. And then when she got to Holland, she realized that absolutely wasn't the case.
1: That's right. Especially when you're from the South, because you know, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Georgia, South Carolina, that was where the slave ships docked, you know, and those are the places where the civil rights movement was the, the loudest. Mm -hmm. And so when you are from Mississippi, you know, racism, the Mm -hmm. same way, you know, you know, black-eyed peas and cornbread, you know, it's just normal, (laughs) it's woven into the fabric of where you're from. And so I thought to myself, you know, there's no racism like Mississippi racism. (laughs) <laughs> so if you can do it there, then you can go anywhere. And then I got here and then it was a lot of the same things I had heard at home, I heard here. But you know, it was that that handful of very outspoken students um, who they didn't really lit up. I mean, some of the stuff was just so ironic. There was one student who he says he loves hip hop music and you know, he's always learning these rap songs and Kendrick Lamar is his favorite. And then we did the slave narrative. And he went and told another teacher that he thought it was inappropriate that I was teaching this unit.
0: (laughs) Wow. Didn't you just want to pack your bags and leave?
1: (laughs) Ah, um, Not for good. I did want to go home for the summer. I was itching to go home for the summer, be around my people, but I knew that that wasn't going to be the end of it for me because Mm -hmm. I have been on this anti-racism kick since I was about six years old, as soon as I found out what racism was. (laughs) And so I knew that there was work to be done. And so since these students, they, they kept saying, we don't believe what you have to say until a white teacher can corroborate it. Um, I went and spoke to the principal, who's a white man, and I told him what was going on. And I said, I want to have a panel of white teachers from Mm -hmm. the school to sit Mm -hmm. in front of these kids. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to take up their questions and let the white teachers answer their questions. Would you like to come? And he said, yes, I will be there. (laughs) And so it was really awesome because the teachers rallied around me Mm. and uh, you know every last one of them that I asked they showed up and it wasn't just white teachers I had um, a friend from Singapore she was involved I had a black man I Mm. wanted to get some different perspectives so I had like a Mexican American but the panel was 80 percent white Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. some of these people from the north some of them were from the south the west but um, it was amazing how everybody came together and they just rallied around me. I mean, it made me feel I, I didn't know that so many people cared. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me a lot of hope that heartened me tremendously mm-hmm. to know that I worked in a school full of people who were also uh, very passionate about anti-racism, which has definitely led us to where we are today. There's been a lot of changes in the past year.
0: Well, tell me what, I mean, you've shared a few stories with me offline, but tell us now what changes have you noticed in the students since you started implementing a different approach with them?
1: So since that happened, now that was at the end of the school year. That was the last unit that we did before school was out. And then I promised myself we would never again do the Black History unit last Mm -hmm. again ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if it went wrong, I did Mm -hmm. not want the year to end that way, right. but um, I know like in my syllabus, I make it a point to teach um, authors and artists from everywhere, mm-hmm. from all over the place, because what we need to do is to normalize successes of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you are when you're sitting in a classroom and you're a kid. You go in class and they teach you about Thomas Edison and they teach you about Thomas Jefferson and they teach you about all these, mm-hmm. these accomplishments. And then you see, oh, all these people are white. Right. And then they say, and then there were slaves and then there was Martin Luther King and then there was Barack Obama, depending on how young or old you are. Of course, I didn't get that when I was in school, but right. you know, the students get that now. Right. And so what it does is it, um, it makes it look like the standard of achievement is white people. Yeah. and that every once in a while other people achieve something because right, that's like, how often you talk about it just every right. once in a while
0: <laughs> right like that one guy made peanut butter right like <laughs> exactly yes yes exactly that you like, know
1: what exactly that yeah and right. uh you know we have black history month which i think is important but i mean i i am excited to see the day that we don't need black history mm-hmm. month because mm-hmm. american history will include all of that right. organically right. you know so um Oh, shoot. What was I saying about normalizing, normalizing the
0: success (laughs) of everyone?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that is what my classroom looks like. And other teachers were doing the same thing. And so we were saying, okay, who can we teach? What supplementary text can we use for this piece? And uh, more people started to make sure that we were teaching more than just what is called the canon.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which, I mean, if you look at the canon, because I'm a literature teacher, literature and language, you look at the canon and it's not diverse at Mm -hmm. all. Right. And who sat around and created that canon? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen that, um, there's a meme that was floating around a few years ago. And there's a bunch of them like it. 30 things you need to do by the time you're 30 and 20 things you should have accomplished by the time you're 20 and all that. And so this one was 100 books you should read if you're a serious reader. Mm -hmm. So I read the list. Now, I mean, I'm serious. I consider myself a serious reader, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read the list out of a hundred books. I had read six or seven, two or three of them I hated. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, why, how is Maya Angelou not on this list? Right. Like how is this even possible? Like how is James Baldwin not on this list? And Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the list and it's all white people. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, you know, the thing is, if you consider yourself a quote, unquote, serious reader, you have to read all this stuff. And most of it is like, you know, old Victorian stuff. I don't care, you know, but I'm going, I don't see, I don't see Malcolm X's autobiography on this list. Exactly. (laughs) So we gotta, we gotta do the work to change all this. So anyway,
0: I'm going to jump in there for a second. I think there's something important for our listeners that we can take beyond the international school system. And so you're talking about normalizing the success of everyone. And if I'm thinking about, you know, anybody who has an online business or a business that does social media, you can look at um, who am I sharing? Whose successes am I sharing?
1: Yeah. Right. And
0: whose literature, like whose. I mean, I think about my marketing strategies. All of my sales and marketing strategies have come from white women. Mm. So like, what does that mean? Right. What am yep. I, what is going on in that, that might be inviting some people and not others? I don't know. I'm go- I'm discovering that as I go mm-hmm. now that I'm more cognizant of that, but what does that yeah. mean? So if anybody who has their own business or is responsible even for social media when are when are you highlighting not just struggles you know of people of color but like how about like just regular everyday life like i just saw something today where there's an initiative where a father a black father is showing other black fathers living totally normal lives like changing diapers and feeding Mm -hmm. their kids to normalize hey this is what black fathers actually look like
1: yeah and i mean father's day just passed right? And I, my dad is tremendous. I mean, he's (laughs) awesome, man. My dad was the first black president of the school board in our town. Mm. Growing up, my dad just recently retired from NASA. He fought in Vietnam. He's been there every single day. That man, you know, I was talking to him the other day and he told me, you know, you're doing good work. I'm proud of you. And still that gives me butterflies. My dad is amazing. And not just that but i've always seen black men be dads
0: right
1: not just you know somebody's name on a birth certificate but actually being dads and you know you know how like on social media you have that one person who only pops up to fight right so i have two of those (laughs) and this one lady you know she popped up and she was just you know, running off at the mouth one day. And then she decided that she was going to send me a private message. And it was just really silly. The whole thing was, but she kept switching topics. And one thing she, you know, it was just like one of those and another thing and another thing type thing. Mm. And she said, and black kids need their dads around. And I said, why are you even talking to me about that? <sighs> because we're, from the same hometown, right? I'm like, what about all the white kids in our community whose Mm -hmm. dads aren't around? And what about all the black dads who are around that you won't talk about? What about that? Mm -hmm. You know, what about uh, these kids who keep shooting up schools? They're like 95, 98% white kids.
0: Right, right. Where are their dads?
1: Like, why are you talking to me about this? And it's just, it's a red herring. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to keep from talking about what you're talking about. And I'm just going to pretend like, I I can't understand you and I'm gonna be distracted by these other things that have nothing to do with the conversation. (laughs) And so those people are all around, but.
0: And they've been brainwashed by our history, by our media, right? And what I'm hearing you say is let's knock that off. Let's change by normalizing the success of everyone from a wide variety of backgrounds so that we normalize who's making contributions to society. Yeah. And so you did that, you and your team did that. What else did you do? Yes,
1: Yes. we've been doing that at the school. And one thing that um, that I noticed that is just the key to any relationship is proximity. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's so important to have diversity on a staff because one student, while all this was happening, she came to me one day, she had tears in her eyes and she said to me, listen, my parents, here's what my parents believe about black people. They think that Black people are less intelligent. They think that Black people have smaller brains. They think that Black people are just less than we are. And so I'm sitting here in your class, and I learned so much in your class, and I really love it, and I'm confused. And then she started to cry, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She said, I don't know what to believe anymore. (laughs) And I just took her in my arms, gave her a big hug, and I said, okay, so forget about what your parents believe." you've been sitting in this classroom with me for almost a year. Can I read? She said, yeah. (laughs) I said, do you consider me intelligent? She said, of course. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, then. Mm -hmm. Period. Like that's the end of it. (laughs) You, You don't have to believe what they say and she said well I even I talked to their friends and their friends told me that I wasn't old enough to understand yet and that the school was brainwashing me but when I got older I would understand and so then I I was talking to the principal again because we talk a lot and I told him about that and he said well you know what they haven't withdrawn her from the school yet so they must not have that much of a problem and I said you know that's right and as long as she's here they knew that they signed her up for an international school. But the thing that changed what she believed and I'm glad that she was wrestling with that is because she sits there or last year she did with me every day. And that's the thing. I've had so many people throughout my life say, before I met you, I had these beliefs about black people and then I spent time with you and now I realize that stuff isn't true. A lot of this doesn't change because you read something and it is a theory. It changes through relationships.
0: Absolutely. And
1: so what we have to have is people who are willing to open doors for people who don't look like them Mm -hmm. and expose the people around them to diversity. I was listening Mm -hmm. to this guy the other day. He was giving a speech and he was saying, if you come here, this is the only opportunity you will get, this was a a religious group. This is the only opportunity you will get to be around somebody who doesn't look like you. And I thought to myself, that's quite lazy. Mm -hmm. Because if you live in a city, you have a million opportunities to be around somebody who doesn't look like you. The way that we root this out is with truth and relationship. If you are willing to do the work, I mean, black people, we're not going to bite you. Like, we're not out to get you. (laughs) Contrary to popular belief, I know that, you know, the world has been told that we're dangerous. Mm -hmm. When my students and I, when we talk about, um, we talk about, I don't know if you know the book by Eli Weissel, *Night*. It's about the Holocaust and Eli Weissel's Mm -hmm. experience with the Holocaust. He and his family at Auschwitz. And um, we were talking about that and we did the eight stages of genocide. Mm -hmm. and when we do that I have the class talk about stereotypes and so I start off with them I say what are some stereotypes that people have about Chinese kids and some of it you know they crack jokes and they're all laughing and it's funny and so then I say well what about this group of people what about this group of people and I get them all warmed up and then I say so what are some stereotypes about black people and the room goes silent (laughs) and I say to them now two things I want you to know one Whatever you say, we're just talking about what you've heard. I am not going to count that against you. I'm not going to think that this is what you believe. And two, you can't say anything that I've never heard. <laughs> so you might as well just say it. And I, I really do pride myself on making my classroom a safe space. And um, students feel that. They've told me as much. And so they, they really do open up. And the first thing that they say is, well, Black people are dangerous. And I understand that that's what people believe. It doesn't matter where I am in the world. Whenever I walk by or my husband, who is six, four, six, five, we walk by, people grab their purses, people grab their husbands, people, you know, jump into the corner. People just think that we're dangerous.
0: Right.
1: And so the way that you do away with that is to be around Black people so that you can see <laughs> that right. Black people aren't right. dangerous. Like we're just like that. These things are crazy, but they've been implemented uh, strategically, these beliefs, you know, they've been strategically implemented to keep us all divided, which is silly, but mm-hmm. it's, it's happened, and it has worked generation after generation after generation. I don't know if you've read uh, Persepolis
0: no. by,
1: um, oh, what is her name? Marjane Satrapi, I believe that's her name. She's from Iran, and it is a graphic novel. It's actually the first graphic novel I've ever read. It is Tremendous, but she has this quote where she says, um, "You know, I am from Iran, and you are from America, and we are very much alike, mm-hmm. and so are our governments." Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And you know, she's saying we have we have no reason to believe what we believe about each other other than we've been told to believe that. Right. But once you get to know people and you see, we ain't that different. You know, we had, a, we had a meal, I think, I don't remember, but I cooked a big meal, and a friend of mine came from India, and I had made a dish, and he tasted it, and he said, oh, this tastes just like our dish in India, and I was like, we ain't that different, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, we're really not, and so just being, being around people who don't look like you, who are not like you, who aren't where you're from, and recognizing those differences instead of trying to do the I don't see color thing, because right. I think that's foolishness. You know, you you do see it. You do. Right. Period. Right. You know. What I mean, I don't. I've never understood that. And honoring the differences in us—that that's how you do that. I love you know? that you but say. It, it takes a long time. Yeah
0: in from the because i'm a nerdy interculturalist we talk about dialectics dialectics right so it's like we're similar and we're different at the same time
1: yes so how can
0: we how can we find connections or similarity and how can we like you said honor differences uh, because those Mm -hmm. differences make the difference they do make a difference
1: yes indeed Um, they do
0: and to and i
1: can say like like, sunday let me tell you i love being black yep i do and i I can't say that enough. I take great pride yeah. in my heritage, in my ethnicity, in my background. And so when somebody looks at me and they say to me, I don't see color, what you're saying to me is, I'm not willing to honor who you are right. because it makes me feel comfortable. But it's so ironic because they go, okay, my child, make sure you play with the black kids so that they know we don't see color. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. you see what I'm saying
0: we're all just fumbling our way around on this right yes 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 so we've talked a little bit about um you know going into a school system and being I even I don't even like to use the word advocate anymore I used to use the word advocate but now the more I'm learning that being an advocate isn't enough um Mm -hmm. but sort of taking a stance as we started at the top of the podcast about an anti-racism posture of looking at, you know, a commitment to fight Mm -hmm. these things. And you're doing that in your school. Um, yeah, you talked about it felt traumatizing in the beginning. I'm you must be exhausted because you're not only just being a mom and living abroad and teaching full time, you're also doing all of that emotional labor on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you take care of yourself?
1: Well, <laughs> I wake up every morning at about 4.40, 4.45, and I go work out, mm. and on the days that I don't work out, I absolutely feel it. Uh, working out is just as mental and emotional for me as it is physical, yeah. and uh, I've been an athlete my entire life, and so that is a, that's a huge deal for me. Um, I meditate, mm-hmm. and that's also very helpful. I am always going, my brain is always going. Uh, even in my dreams, like I I woke up the other day and I was like, okay, I got to write this down. (laughs) You know, this thing for the website is crazy. I'm always going. And um, meditation is important because it is that time that I look forward to where I don't have to be going, Mm -hmm. you know, and it is, it really is one of the very few spaces in my life where there are no expectations. Mm. And that is probably my favorite thing about it. Yeah, There are no expectations here. There is nobody watching here. There is nothing here. If I have a million thoughts in my head, nobody's going to strike me down. If I have a meditation session of 30 minutes and I can just focus on my breathing, great. You know, but I mean, nobody, no, there is no judgment there in that space. And we went to, oh my gosh, we went to India this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, that had been a dream of mine since I was a kid. When I was, I remember I was in this gifted class and we studied India and the Taj Mahal. And I'd always wanted to see it. I was probably nine or 10 and I saw it, I saw it in January. It was mind blowing. (laughs) And we left the Taj Mahal and we went to this place where this family makes Persian rugs. And uh, we bought a rug, a small one, like a meditation rug. And the guy said, you know, you sit on this rug and you can feel the energy and whenever you're meditating. And so we decided to buy one. And um, it's just another way that I just feel so connected, mm-hmm. you know, um, we, we, we are so fortunate to be able to travel around and we meet all these incredible people and just see like what, what life is doing through all these people. Right. And we met. This family and they were amazing and bought that rug and so whenever I go there I just remember that guy when he was explaining we were watching a man make a Persian rug I don't know if you've ever seen it but it is done one piece of yarn at a time
0: it's amazing it
1: is incredible and the guy had the pattern memorized I couldn't believe it and so while he was making the rug the guy who was hosting us he said to us um, you know you see all these individual pieces of yarn and you see how they come together, and they're really close to each other, and in the end, you have something beautiful, and it lasts forever, and it is, Persian rugs are a picture of unity, and that's what the world needs right now, and so I think about that whenever I go, like, I'm, like, choking up. Me too, I'm trying to swallow. It It was just one of the most beautiful moments, you know? And so I this sit on that rug chance. and I think about that. It really is. You know, it, it really is. We, we are all so connected. We all want the same things. We all want love. We all want safety. We all want to be able to put our gifts into the world and see a return on those things. We all want peace. We all want good food. Mm-hmm. We all want good experiences. We're not that different. Yeah. But the things about us that are different, let's celebrate those things. Let's pull them all together, you know? And so that—that that is, anyway, you asked me, how do I stay grounded? Like, how do I, this is how. Uh, things like that, you know, keeping my mind on things like that. Or I really am surrounded by just amazing people. My husband is incredible, extremely supportive. Right now, like, we're reading a book together, you know, things like that. Let's read this book together. Let's discuss it. Um, he's awesome. (laughs) And and these two baby girls too, you know, just like I'm raising these babies. They, they keep me focused.
0: (laughs) They say that community or resilience is built in community. So it sounds like you're doing all the right things to take care of yourself. And, and the reason I ask is for those of our listeners who are, are feeling fatigued um, to hear, you know, from, from someone who is there doing it every day, how you can stay strong um, and stay centered. So with the last few minutes of our time, I I wouldn't mind just focusing on, um, you know, what you shared with me is you've already seen in one year dramatic shifts in your students. Do you Mm -hmm. mind sharing just a short story on evidence of what you're doing at the school is working?
1: Yeah, so we are, So a bunch of us got to, you know, we, we're, we said, we're gonna teach these pieces, these texts from these people. We're gonna talk about this more. We're gonna normalize this. We're gonna normalize the world conversation in our classroom. And a couple of weeks ago, this student came up to me and he said, "Miss Cochran, <laughs> you know, he was real serious. I said, yeah. He said, did you hear about Ahmaud Arbery? Mm-hmm. And I went, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just I was taken aback yeah he said Ahmaud Arbery the guy who was jogging and he got shot I said of course I heard about him you heard about yeah. <laughs> He went, yeah and it's terrible and so that that blew my mind because mm-hmm. the year before that just the year before that the conversation was so different And when this kid walked into the classroom and said this, it turned into 30 minutes of us talking about systemic racism and the prison industrial complex and George Floyd, and Arbery, Breonna Taylor, how her murderers have not been indicted or anything, uh, how sexism plays into that and, you know, all kinds of stuff. We've had all these conversations. We, um, beyond that panel that we had in my classroom last year, where those teachers were just incredible, we had another panel. Um, and it was me, another Black American woman, and an Asian American woman. And we were talking about what these kids can expect when they leave China and they are no longer the majority and mm-hmm. now they're the minority in the United States. We, get, we had a panel for that. And so all of these things have culminated into what we are doing now, which is a diversity and inclusion initiative at Mm -hmm. the school with the blessing of the principal Mm -hmm. i sat down and wrote this all out and this is going to jump off in the fall and i couldn't be more thrilled about it and so um that's going to look a lot of different ways but one thing we're going to do is just fill the school up with posters of people from all over the place and so it'll be a picture of somebody and their accomplishments right so that people can see hey people from everywhere really have contributed to the civilization that we live in today. White men didn't save the world. (laughs) We've all contributed. And it's gonna be in the preschool building and Mm. in every building. That's one thing that we're gonna do. Um, People are going to audit their curriculum audit their syllabi and see where they can interject information. And this is across all subjects. Uh, Right now, there is a group of teachers, a teacher's committee that is being formed and there's going to be a teacher from every subject to oversee that. So in math, if you're you know you're talking about math and we're going to talk about Katherine Johnson and just find ways to just put this information and normalize it make it just a normal part of the conversation uh we have a little podcast at our school and so we are planning to work with that podcast and interview teachers from all over the place talk about their struggles and their successes um we are going to have parent meetings because we know that a lot of this comes from home, Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) we are going to work on educating the parents as well, and uh, many other things that we're doing, but I I couldn't be more excited about it. I mean, this is, oh my gosh.
0: I have goosebumps. (laughs) I have goosebumps. (laughs) I (laughs) love how how it's so integrated, right? It's not a separate thing. It's integrated, and here's what I'm learning. I'm learning when you create spaces which celebrate all and invite all, everybody mm-hmm. benefits.
1: That's right. That is that's right. what I'm learning. I think yes. Trudy
0: LeBron is the one that's teaching me that right now the most. It's like, oh, <laughs> this, this is actually everybody is elevated um, Yeah. when we do this. And elevated can also mean depth. It doesn't mean higher in mm-hmm. status or hierarchy. It could mean depth. Um, of understanding yes. and it makes me want to um to go back to school again and learn more contemporary ways of seeing the world here's the thing i know that you're extremely busy and things are moving fast um yes you've shared with me you have a project called history confronted can you tell That's us right. briefly about that
1: so history confronted is um exactly what we've been talking about today, you know, we are going to normalize Black people, Indigenous people, people of color, normalize our successes, and just make people human, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to humanize these people, and so History Confronted is a movement Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, towards that aim of education being inclusive, and so uh, right now, the website is being put together, that website is going to be a database where people can go and get information about different figures. There will be a different topic every week, but it'll be consistent. So like week one of the month will be literature. Week two of the month will be STEM. Mm -hmm. Week three of the month will be, you know, something else. And -hmm. there will even be a week for hometown heroes. And so you just go Mm -hmm. to the website and you can see uh, who are we highlighting that week. It'll be two to three different figures from different ethnicities. And uh, when that week is over, all of those people will go into the database. So it'll all be available on the website. And then additionally, there will be uh, like a PD for teachers. (laughs) There will be um, teaching tools for coaches because teams need this. There will be teaching tools for parents, how to have certain conversations with your kids. Um, If you want to have brunch with your friends, then it'll be teaching tools, all kinds of teaching tools for that. Uh, further reading just is going to be a place where people can go and just get the tools that they need to make inclusivity normal in their own life. So it is, it's a huge undertaking and it really has happened so fast. And so I am just waiting for school to be out so I can dive in head first. One more week.
0: (laughs) So this is, so what we're doing on expat happy hour is uh, directing you to go to the Facebook group history confronted. I'm also putting a link in the show notes to a very simple form so you can put in your name and email um, and then you'll be on the first to know when all of this goes live, um, giving us permission to contact you um, either through Expat Happy Hour or through Jasmine directly just so you know when this is live and they can have access to it. So if you're interested and you want to know more, go ahead and pop your email and name into that form so you don't miss when that goes live and um, miss out on all the goodness. Thank you so much yeah. for being here today. It's been amazing. Um,
1: Thank you, I appreciate it very much.
0: I'll just share a little bit about what I'm, what I'm taking away from um, today's call is when we're feeling overwhelmed by all of the places that we could be or should be active, there's some calmness that I'm feeling. It's like, do what's within your sphere. Um, and take care of yourself while you're doing it so you can do this for the long haul. And that's what I'm hoping you as listeners also take away from today's episode. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with the words of American poet, memoirist, and civil rights activist, Maya Angelou. We are only as blind as we want to be. Um.